Hello and welcome to The Dive. I'm Anna Muckerman. You've landed on our first edition for this fall 2017 semester, and it's going to be a great one because it's our Halloween special. In this episode, you'll hear stories from our writer, Cameron Neiman, who attended a Kendall Jenner Halloween party, and from our Diversions editor, Patrick Bassler, on why the music of 3-6 Mafia is so scary. We hope you'll enjoy these stories as you celebrate one of the most wonderful times of the year. They're full of twists and turns and a little bit of creepy music. If you like what you hear, don't miss our next episode. We'll have new ones coming every other week for the rest of the semester. And now, let's get to the stories. Bobby and I sat in the back seat of his dad's white Honda Pilot as we turned right off Valley Circle onto Long Valley Road, approaching Hidden Hills, the amazingly beautiful gated community of Los Angeles. Technically its own city, it has a zip code that's one digit higher at 91302 than neighboring also rich but not quite Calabasas. Me and Bobby were 14 years old in the period of life where we still required our parents for to and from shuttling despite the pubescent mustaches residing above our upper lips. Dan, Bobby's father, lowered his driver's side window as we pulled beside the guard gate. Uh, Though a presence at the guard gate normally, security guard Michael Myers' name was particularly ominous on this evening because... Me and Bobby were there in Hidden Hills for a friend's Halloween celebration. In a way, Myers was kind of the perfect guy of defense for this nice community. Someone whose name, you know, forebodes fear to any outsider attempting to enter the utopian world housing Ozzy Osbourne, Britney Spears, and other celebrities. Hello, said Dan, Bobby's father and his six-foot-three lawyer. I'm here to drop my son and his friend off at a Halloween party. Which house, sir? responded Myers, scanning the car for any potential threats. Um, the Jenner house, said Dan. So Bobby and I had first met in kindergarten at Sierra Canyon, and we quickly became best friends, two very loud Jewish boys. Located in Chatsworth, Sierra Canyon was at the time a K-8 through establishment that tended to garner to quite a bit of celebrity parents. Bobby and I both come from kind of upper middle class backgrounds, which would be very comfortable to the standards of just about anyone but our classmates. Uh, When I was in kindergarten, Kim Bassinger, the famous actress and mother of my classmate Ireland, told my mother that I should model because I reminded her of a Norman Rockwell painting. Maybe Runaway, definitely not Homecoming Marine. To this day, a box of weedy cereal donning Olympic gold medalist Bruce Jenner sits in my closet with Jenner's autograph on it. Jenner came to our school in kindergarten, passed out the boxes, and signed them. His daughter, Kendall, was one of me and Bobby's classmates. 
Seven years later, Michael Myers had just granted Bobby and I access to the Jenner Mansion where Kendall was throwing her massive eighth grade Halloween bash. So Dan dropped us off and we're standing there in front of the beautiful Kardashian-Jenner home. And Bobby looks at me and I look at Bobby and I say, holy shit. And he says... Yeah, this is dope. We see everyone. There's Kim, there's Chloe, there's Courtney, there's Scott, there's Chris, there's Bruce. Kim changes her outfit like six times through the night. I'm dancing like my bar mitzvah montage to Soldier Boy or Lil Wayne or Kiss Me Through the Phone, whatever was playing at that time. Chloe Kardashian, I'm not lying, comes up, grabs my hand, we dance, we do a little two-step, one-two-step. That's all I do. That's all I really know, you know? just a real guy i just got those hips that can sway a little bit no i'm kidding but um it was a very awkward dance but i was in love my hormones were raging and this was a celebrity making human contact with me this young boy with a jufro and braces but then all of a sudden bobby disappeared into a sea of middle schoolers who were had red solo cups that they so desperately had something other than Sprite or pink lemonade in. And I wasn't really concerned about Bobby's whereabouts because I was busy trying to convince a girl that I was more than just this smooth instant messenger under my next Slim Shady 777 AIM name, but also the man of her dreams. Next thing you know, Kim Kardashian's there talking to me and my friends. I don't know what to say, but I have to say something. It's not a chance you get off. This is around the time when uh, Lamar and uh, Chloe had just gotten married, despite the fact that I was dancing with Chloe earlier, which I hope Lamar doesn't know because he's one of my favorite all-time Lakers. I go up and I go, my dad has season tickets to the Lakers. Maybe I'll see you there. She said... Yeah. I sit in section 318, which is considered the nosebleeds, and I think she sits on the floor, but I don't know. I, I think it was a sign of true love. I thought she would want to know. She didn't seem interested, but that was my conversation with Kim Kardashian. That's what I got out of her. A nice valley girl. Apathetic. Yeah. <laughs> Next thing I know, Bobby appears, and he looks ghostly. He, um, he pulls me aside to a far-off corner of the front yard, and he says, I have to tell you something that you can't tell anybody, and you, you have to promise, he, he says to me in, you know, a begging tone, and I promise in the way you do when you're 14, you cross your toes, and you tell everyone you know. It's like a drug. You need to get it. You have to let go of the secret. So I promise, though. And Bobby let me know that in a bowel-induced panic, the reason he had left earlier was that he went inside, he made a right and ducked into the house's, the Kardashian-Jenner house's main guest bathroom. But it wasn't the stomach ache, but what happened after Bobby relieved his intestinal troubles that really was too traumatizing for him to put into words. I went to flush, he said. And, I replied... It's a really old toilet. 
Bobby had clogged the main guest bathroom of the Jenner Kardashian estate. His panic increased drastically when a line of fellow partygoers, our friends and classmates from childhood, began to form outside of the bathroom. Knox bombarded the door. There was Sebastian, there was Drew, there was Jenny, there was everyone. Everyone needed to go to the bathroom. This was the bathroom that was open to the public, and Bobby's in there, panicking, staring at his own monstrous doing. A poop that will not go down. Sweat careens down his face like Nixon during the 1960 presidential debates. And, as has become famous in folklore throughout my friends, family, and the greater Los Angeles area, Bobby saw only one possible solution. I took like half a roll of toilet paper, he told me, and I wrapped it around my whole hand. He looked at me as if I should understand where this was going, but I swear to you, I did not. And I said, I sushi chopped my poop until it would go down. I just chopped it and chopped it with my toilet paper hand and it went down. That was the last time we ever saw the Kardashian house in person. And I don't think we ever hung out with Kendall Jenner again after that. I told many people and broke the promise several times. And the story of Bobby's poop lives on forever. Also, Kendall was really cool. Very nice girl. That was Cameron Neiman on a Halloween party to remember. And now let's turn to Patrick Bassler as he analyzes what makes the music of 3-6 Mafia just so scary. Not to brag, but it takes a lot to scare me. Horror movies don't do much. I don't find haunted houses scary. But I do think the music of 3-6 Mafia is absolutely terrifying. And I'm not talking about the Juicy J party hits that would come later. No, I'm talking about the early 90s 3-6 Mafia songs that sound like they were recorded in smoke-filled Memphis studios, put on cassette tapes, and then possessed by the devil. Songs that sound equally influenced by shootouts and Satan, by the all-too-real horrors of the streets, and nightmares that plague you late at night. Songs that, frankly, sound straight-up evil, like the devil started sipping lean and joined a rap group. To quote DJ Paul, that Faces of Death, Red Drum, Murder, 666, tongue-twisting shit. 
That's what scares me. Which was, of course, the point of the early 3-6 Mafia records. Their debut album, Mystic Styles, which was released in 1995, yes, Juicy J has been around that long, was almost all lo-fi horror movie beats and rhymes about homicide and Satanism. It was meant to be scary and to bang. And it does both. My name is the Scarecrow. Busters, they approach. They really don't know me too well. I plan in the 50 round magazine, watching those videos like empty the shells. Bodies are smacking the mud. Busters are constantly donating blood. I put a side off of my coat, pump it twice and watch it tear up your hood and rub. Oh, no, me do not mind. Just take a listen to Back Against the Wall. Maybe the best song on Mystic Styles. And maybe the best example of what made the Mafia so terrifying back then. And today. Lord Infamous, who spits that verse, is probably 3-6 Mafia's secret weapon and scariest member. He's best known today for popularizing the triplet flow that Migos uses so much, but his menacing lyrics are the backbone of 3-6 Mafia's scariest tracks. For example, on Back Against a Wall, he raps things like, The Scarecrow will try his best to take your life, because I know you'll try to take mine. And let's be real, that sounds like the tagline for an 80s slasher film called The Scarecrow which they should have made. Did they make it? And on songs like these, full of death threats and horror tropes, even the more classically rap-minded members of the group like Juicy J get in on it. In Back Against the Wall, Juicy J raps, When you see me in traffic, psychopathic killer addict, kidnapping MPDs, chopping heads off with the hatchet. Throw them in a rotted ditch while the night is filled with mist. Mystic style is about the killers from the 666. The closest Juicy J gets to rapping like that today is name dropping Jeffrey Dahmer on a Katy Perry song. Which is kind of what's cool and scary about 36 Mafia these days. There's literally nothing that sounds like it. Well, that's not exactly true. There are plenty of people trying to sound like 3-6 Mafia. Even Juicy J's new mixtape brought back some of the sound with none of the bite. But even with modern copycats, in terms of pure creepiness, nothing comes close to early 3-6. The blend of visceral violence and satanic references make it really unlike anything else. It's as close to southern gothic as southern rap really ever got, and too often, it's just lumped into the same horrorcore label as Ghetto Boys, good, D12, bad, an insane clown posse, even worse. In actuality, listening to 3-6 Mafia is just like watching a good horror movie. It's exciting, intense, and if you're lucky, genuinely scary. And what more could you ask for for a Halloween soundtrack? Shit is so thick. When at the club we get so bold, we try to tell some shit. Gangsta who the gangsta 
All right. Well, that's it for this episode of The Dive. Thank you all for listening, and I hope you all have a very great Halloween. Um, I want to give a special thank you to Anna Muckerman and Cameron Neiman for their help on this episode. And we'll have new episodes coming every other week, so stay tuned at our SoundCloud page and at dbknews.com. Hope you all have a very spooky Halloween.